You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. You saved for college, for a house, and for retirement. And now that you're on your own, it's time to put yourself first. Is your money buying you the life that you want? If you're not sure, learn more by scheduling a complimentary wealth checkup today at planefe.com slash hermoney. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you were in a position right now that, that given everything going on in your life, that you want to go to work and you want to do what is expected of you and go home and have as much of a line as you can, to me, that's not lazy, that you're picking a job and an industry and a company that aligns with what you are looking for. Hey, everyone. I'm Jean Chatsky. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. Look, if you blink these days, you are going to miss what they're calling the latest trends in the working world. In 2021, we had the great resignation when more than 47 million people quit their jobs. Then, about a year later, quiet quitting took the working world by storm when those of us who'd been overworked since the great resignation decided to put no more effort into our jobs than absolutely necessary. The message shared on TikTok was essentially, your worth as a person is not defined by your productivity, which resonated, no doubt, particularly with millennials and Gen Z. Then, in late 2022, tech giants like Meta, Amazon, Salesforce, they abruptly laid off thousands of employees in what was deemed loud layoffs. And now it seems like we are living through the era of loud quitting. Yes, loud quitting. It's kind of like rage quitting, only with a bigger bang. Employees are not just burning their bridges. They are torching them by voicing their discontent on social media or even taking actions that directly harm the company they work for. And although some of this is incredibly concerning for both employers and employees, some of it just has me shaking my head. I got to tell you, the platform Cameo, where you can hire celebrities to create custom videos for you, is now fielding requests from people who want celebrities to resign for them. One man even hired an American Idol contestant to offer his resignation via song. As a small business owner, I find all of this stuff concerning, but at the same time, I guess I'm not surprised. For the past few years, it seems like the trust between employees and employers has been eroding. Gallup's 2023 State of the Global Workforce Survey found 51% of people who are currently employed are looking for a new job. So how can companies make work a more enjoyable 
experience for their employees and eliminate some of the toxicity we are seeing today. My guest today has crafted the ultimate guide for finding happiness in the workplace. Erica Keswin is the author of the new book, The Retention Revolution, Seven Surprising and Very Human Ways to Keep Employees Connected to Your Company. And so whether you are the employee or the employer, she's got advice. We had her on the show a few years ago to talk about her first book, Bring Your Human to Work, when she gave us better tips on how to connect with one another in a remote work world. I am thrilled to have her back. Erica, hey. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I loved that introduction. Thank you. Really is crazy what's going on. Everything has a name, right? Everything has a name. And look, it's been a minute since we talked. It's been a minute and a pandemic. What do you make of the timeline of work-based trends that I just described? Maybe you even saw some of them coming. Yes, I would say some of it's new, but much of it's not. That many of the trends that you cite were actually going on a number of years ago and the pandemic accelerated them by a hundredfold because all of a sudden everybody was knowledge workers, not everybody, but a certain group of workers were automatically sent home. And so a lot of what we had been seeing around this desire for more purposeful work and having more work-life integration and thinking about mental health. And again, a lot of these trends, all of a sudden when you're home and you're not going to the office and you have time to reflect really accelerated those trends. When we talk about loud quitting, is this just a headline or are you actually seeing this? I am seeing some loud quitting. There was one video that you might've seen where somebody walked in literally and had a marching band with him to loud quit. I think it's the exception, not the rule, because we all know that karma is karma and that why burn these bridges? Quit. But to your point from the employer and the employee perspective, that the world of work has changed and stay connected. We're seeing a lot of people that left, whether they left loudly or quietly for greener pastures, got there and saw that the grass wasn't really greener, it was brown, and they came back. And so we're seeing a lot of boomerangs. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I've experienced that on both sides. We have an employee who was one of my early assistants. She worked with me for five years, left for a couple of years to go to JP Morgan and came back. We're thrilled to have her, but we knew she wanted to come back because we had stayed in touch with her. Simultaneously, somebody that I hired remotely didn't work out because she just needed to go in an office and we don't have that right now. Well, that's a perfect example, Jean, because It's not personal in that example. She really wanted to be in an office. So instead of saying to someone, hey, don't let the door hit you in the behind or you're dead to me because you're leaving, we get it and we can't provide that and that's okay, but let's stay in touch because you never know. Yeah. And she's freelancing and that's all well and good. Happy to have her. The title of your book is The Retention Revolution. Is retention the main problem that employers are facing today? And if so, why is that? Retention is a huge problem in organizations. And again, to your early comment, it's not necessarily a new problem. Even when Meta and Google, all these companies, the tech companies were laying people off, and some of them still are, there's still many job openings, which people don't necessarily realize. And 
there's always a war for your top talent. So when I talk about retention, we all want to keep our best people. So that's part A. I would say part B is that when we think about these new generations, Gen Z in particular, who's taking over the workplace, they're probably not going to stay in one company their whole career, or maybe even two companies, three companies, or, or four companies. And so part of it is shifting the way we think about work. And the retention revolution is kind of coming to terms with this is the way these new generations are, and let's lean into this, keep our employees connected, and look at work as much more of a virtuous cycle versus you come and you leave. And one interesting statistic will maybe frame this for you and for your listeners. One of the industry associations for lawyers found that when you look at new lawyers coming into a law firm, law firms these days, across all of them, so it's not one firm specific, only 30% of these new lawyers even want to be a partner. So it used wow. to be you'd come in, you know, you mentioned JP Morgan. Oh, I want to come in and I want to be a managing director. I'm going to go to a law firm. Well, of course I want to be a partner, but the new generation doesn't necessarily want to do it. So the retention revolution is when we onboard, why don't we address the elephant in the room when new people come in and say, you know what, if you look to the left and look to the right, some of you don't necessarily want to be here your whole career. And you know what? That's okay. But we're going to help you develop and grow. And we're going to give you great experiences while you're here. And if you leave, let's stay in touch. And so the beginning of my new book has a whole chapter on onboarding, which I call Start As You Mean To Go On, both from the standpoint of the manager and the employee. And the last chapter is all about really intentional offboarding. When you think about that cycle that you just described from the perspective of the employer, I imagine there are some employers out there thinking, if they're going to leave anyway, why go to all this trouble? It's funny. I'm working on this idea in this article from the perspective of the leaders in these firms saying, well, first of all, why do the trouble? And second of all, oh my gosh, they don't want to be like me. There's this realization. They don't know what to do with themselves. But what I would say is that you're not doing some of these things, learning and developing and mentoring, giving them certain kinds of flexibility to give them these golden handcuffs and chain them to the desk. You're doing them because in reality, it's not only good for the people coming in, but it is good for your business. And chances are, if you're doing these things anyway, like helping people maybe grow laterally if there's not a level above I heard this amazing anecdote the other day from a manager who said that there's not a lot of room to go up. So she said, I love this and it's so actionable. She said to her team, okay, everybody, go and find job descriptions, internal or external, of like jobs that you'd want to have in three to five years. Then let's look at the skills that you need and let's look at the gaps. And I, as a manager, will help you close those gaps. She goes, I can't impact the macro economic trends and what might happen with the firm, but I can control this. And chances are, and I bet this will be the case, that the people on that team, they're going to end up staying longer. So that's why yeah. it's not retention for retention's sake, but chances are if you do these things, people will stay because they feel purposeful. They're growing and developing. 
they're going to be happier and that's going to end up in your end product or service, whatever that happens to be. I want to come back to Gen Z for a second and this generational gap, because I got to tell you, I feel it. And I see it with my kids and my stepkids as well, that there is this desire for more balance than I pursued and more balance in life than I continue to pursue. We pulled a survey from Resume Builder. 74% of managers say that Gen Z is the most challenging generation to work with. I think it may be or it may not be, but the fact is all generations are different and understanding and working with each other is a challenge. How do you figure out what the other generations need? And then how do you find it within yourself to whether you're a Gen Z employee working with a Gen X manager or vice versa? How do you get along? Well, it's a great question and an increasingly important question as we are as a society living longer, we are working longer. And in some companies, there are up to five generations of people working under one roof. And so it is challenging. And like much of my work, where there's a will, there's a way. It's not rocket science, but it takes work to understand these generational trends. I profile one really cool company. It's an architectural firm in my book where during onboarding, everybody goes through a presentation that's called understanding generational insights or understanding generational trends. And it will say, for example, okay, Gen Z, if you have a boss, because many of the bosses are Gen X and baby boomers, and many of the clients that are building these homes are Gen X. So it's you get a big bang for the buck, right? Because you understand your boss and you understand your potential clients, which are obviously important. And there, I remember there was one line that said, if your Gen X boss is picking holes in everything that you do, here's why. That is something that this generation tends to do. Don't necessarily take it personally. So it is about understanding some of these generational generalizations It's not going to be for every single person, but I do think understanding brings empathy. And that's what you need, whether you're thinking about this from a bottom-up perspective and from a top-down perspective, because yes, they're generalizations, but there is some truth to many of them. When we are looking at the different reasons that people leave a job and the ways that people approach their jobs, we know that disrespect and feeling like you're undervalued is a big deal. It's one of the major reasons that people left their jobs during the Great Recession when you were first working on this book. They felt disrespected at work, according to the folks at Pew. What does that really look like? And how do you know if you're truly being disrespected or if you're feeling something that's not exactly there. Well, it's funny for some of the people though, they may not need to fully know, right? They may leave either way, right? Whether it really is something, it's really not something. But when I think about one of the most well-known and well-published surveys over the last however many years is the Gallup study that found that people leave managers, not companies. So I do see that, that it really is that direct relationship between you and your manager, that if you have a manager that 
is disrespecting you, that's not listening to you, chances are people are going to leave. So I'll answer this from two perspectives. Again, the employee and employer. If you're leaders, employers, and you're listening to this, I truly believe that that managers are having a moment right now that even though Meta and Google and all these companies were saying, oh, we're going to get rid of all of our middle managers and we're going to flatten and we're going to cut costs. My opinion, big mistake, that these middle managers, I call them the MVPs of the retention revolution, they're in the middle. Or if we don't like the word middle, like the middle child, right, we can call them, they are in the center. And they are on the front lines of having to manage everybody dealing with the flexible work, dealing with the mental health issues from the pandemic. They are so critical right now. So if you're listening to this and you're in a leadership position, I truly believe in really elevating that role of the manager, providing support, providing training to them because it's critical. And some of that will be modeling your own issues from a leadership perspective. From a bottom-up perspective, again, it's art and science, right? Is this person disrespecting you? Part of it is making clear what you need and what you want. I tell both sides to really look at the company and the company's values, because what the company values are should drive a decision. And if you're someone that's asking for something that you might think totally is in the realm of why shouldn't I get this? But the manager is thinking, are you kidding me? Like this is going to create a domino effect and and we can't make this one exception. Your organizational values and the strategies really will drive that. And again, in this day and age, it's subjective whether someone feels disrespected. And it also goes back to my first book, which you mentioned, Bring Your Human to Work. People will say, really? My whole human? How much of my human am I bringing to work? This is professional, right? It's still the workplace. I want to talk a little bit about strategies for employees or managers who are looking for that next spot. Strategies for figuring out a good fit, figuring out, you know, a nice place to plant yourself where you can find what you're looking for for the next two, five, ten, however many years. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. You saved for years for college, and now that the kids are finally out of the house, it is time to put yourself first. It's time you took a look at all of your financial plans to see what you might need to change and how you can save and invest a little differently now that your life and your finances have found a little more freedom. That's why it's beyond time to schedule a complimentary wealth checkup today at planefe.com slash hermoney. We are back with Erica Keswin, author of the new book, The Retention Revolution. So let's say we are deciding that we're ready for the next thing, the next challenge, whatever it's going to be. With all of this information in mind, how are you guiding people to find a good place? Job hopping, job switching, getting a new job, it's hard. It's really stressful. It's just the act of changing is stressful. I've, I've spent a lot of time with this list of the 40 most stressful life moments and changing jobs is up there. It is definitely one of them. So how do you make sure that you're doing it right? 
So if you're looking to potentially change jobs, there's work to be done on why you're not happy in your current job and really kind of looking yourself in the mirror and doing the self-assessment of what is important to me in this next job for two years, for four years, whatever that is. And all of these different things could impact. You just mentioned the employee that left that wants to be in an office. When people are starting brand new jobs or younger people that want to be mentored in an office, that's going to be a driver. So when you're looking for a new job, you're not going to want to look for companies that are fully remote or maybe even ones that are two to three days a week where everybody could pick their own days. Because even if they're in the office part-time, you still may never see anybody. So you really want to begin to look at that piece of it. When I had three young kids, I was optimizing for different things because you can't optimize for everything. Is it compensation? Do I want more work-life balance? The challenge is, and it gets into what we're seeing around this, these, the lazy girl memes. And I had a, a CEO say to me the other day, he's like, I don't understand. We have a firm where it was a law firm where we're asking people not to build 2,200 hours a year like some of these top firms. We are optimizing for more work-life balance. And the lawyers that come here are billing at, let's say, 1,700 hours a year, which still seems like a lot, but I guess relatively speaking. And he said, but then they come to me at the end of the year and they're not happy with their compensation. And so you have what is important to you. I'm a big list maker. Make a list which things are non-negotiable and start there. And then for all of these, depending on which bucket you're in, in terms of work-life balance and location and travel and in the office, not in the office, after that, let's say you narrow it down to three jobs, you really need to then lean into and go deep on who is my actual boss going to be. And really, because again, it does drive the most satisfaction. And when you are sitting across the table from that boss, what are the signs that they're going to be a good boss? And what are the signs that they seem like they might be a good boss, but really there is trouble lurking beneath the surface? Well, oftentimes these days you interview with the boss and you interview with other people. So you can sort of get a feel about different groups and you can get a sense of how long the person is there. Obviously, there's great technology. You could look up and find out, did this person move all over the place. I was a recruiter back in the day. So sometimes I try to find someone I know that knows the person. So they're going to do references on you, but you should also be thinking about doing references on them because this is a, in this market, this is a two way street. I also recommend for people to give examples from a leadership perspective to say, you know, at this firm, you don't have to ask them specifically about themselves, but you'll learn as they begin to talk. You can say something like this firm, the value, I'm very big on on values and making sure that when you go to work at a company that the values, this is cheesy, but that they come off the walls and in the halls, that they're not just the values that are sitting on a little plaque on a desk or on the wall, that people actually live them. So if they say collaboration is really important and teamwork is really important, when you're in these interviews, you can ask, you say that this is important, but can you give me an example? What does that look like on your team? And you just get them talking and slowly but slowly, you start to get a sense. I want to go back for just a second to the lazy girl memes that you mentioned a second ago. There seems to be a very fine line between lazy girl and just somebody who's looking for 
work-life balance. We had Simone Stoltzoff on the show a couple of months ago when he was talking about his book, The Good Enough Job, and how he's really encouraging people to find their life outside of work, which I think is bordering on all of these trends. Do you have a perspective on how much of ourselves we're expected to contribute to our jobs? Is there a healthy line these days? I think it depends. And I think it goes back to a person optimizing for what is important to them. So a couple of just reactions. I do think that one of a friend and colleague, her name is Lindsay Pollock, and she does a lot of work in on generational stuff. But yeah, we've had her on the show. Awesome. Right. Well, she had a quote which said, the idea of working a set number of hours and doing a set number of clear tasks used to be just going to work. So why is that lazy? So the fact that it's a trend, I think, says something, but it's not one size fits all. Like if you are in a position right now that that given everything going on in your life that you want to go to work and you want to do what is expected of you and go home and have as much of a line as you can, to me, that's not lazy that you're picking a job and an industry and a company that aligns with what you are looking for. And the key there is to make sure that your boss or manager really understands how to measure productivity and is very clear about expectations. Because where I think it can get a little wonky is that you're coming in and you're like, all right, I'm going to show up for these hours, but no one's really sure how performance is being measured. So you want to make sure that you are, especially in a hybrid world, that you're really on the same page around that. The flip side, though, is that I have twin girls who are 20, and one of them worked at a, you mentioned JP Morgan, she worked in investment banking this summer. And no, she was there till three o'clock in the morning. There wasn't work-life balance, but she had a great experience. She was in the office. She was learning. She was developing. She felt that what she was doing was purposeful. So part of it is the more that a manager can connect every person's role to like the big picture of what they do to make them feel connected, I also think people will be less focused on, I'm just going to work this many hours. So it's just very personal. Can we talk about where compensation comes in to all of this and the idea that you are paid fairly, of course, but rewarded for what you do, rewarded for what you are bringing to the company, to the party. And also, I know that when we talk about this list of non-negotiables for people, money is higher on some lists than it is on others. But how are you seeing compensation trends in this orbit these days being reflected or changing? So some changing and some staying the same, that there's been data for years that have shown once you're making that certain amount of money to cover your basic needs, that extra bump in compensation, it's not going to keep you at a company. So when you're thinking about retention, somebody can always match your salary. So we need to think much bigger and broader that compensation is not going to be the be all and end all, except for maybe a small subset of people that are saying right now, the only thing I care about is compensation because there's an issue in my life and I really need to optimize that, right? I want to go back to school. I want to have a kid, whatever that might be. One of the trends that I'm seeing is really this personalization 
of compensation and benefits and the broadening of what those benefits even are to say, okay, here's your pie. And I have three kids, so I use the company's maternity leave policy, but this other person doesn't want to have kids. And that is a lot of money that will go to someone that actually is going to use it. And so that is something that I'm seeing that whether it's a company that's offering mental health benefits or extra vacation or some of these other life things that, again, not one size fits all. Are you seeing, and I just want to understand this, are you seeing companies saying the maternity benefits are here, but if you're not going to use them, you can have something else? Yes. Mm -hmm. So how does that work? You can have a certain dollar amount. You could have just a range of options. And there's some new tech companies and tech platforms that are helping companies manage. So it's like pick something from this column, this column, this column, and really just trying to be more flexible around individuals' needs because Everybody does want different things, and I think it's really smart. Again, in terms of the internal workings of moving it around, I'm not really sure, but there are tech platforms that companies are using to help the HR leaders or the heads of benefits manage this. Fascinating. Yeah. Last question, what are we going to read about next? If we're past the lazy girl jobs, if loud quitting is almost over, what are we reading about next? Oh my gosh. Well, to me, I really think this idea of these middle managers having a moment, I think that is a big push. I think the impact on AI, on all of this, it's just the tip of the iceberg. I think that this idea of the more human skills, the soft skills, people will say to me, well, is AI going to mean I'm out of a job? And I'm like, well, no, it's going to take over aspects of every job, but it's going to make these other skills that much more important. So I think we're going to see more of that. And somebody that's more brand oriented than I am is going to come up with the next crazy meme, which I can't even imagine. But as soon as we hear it, we'll know that it's there. Absolutely. And we'll be able to look to you to understand it better. Erica, where can our listeners go to find out more about you and your book? They can find me. My website is my name, ericakeswin.com. There'll be links to all of my books and my talks and workshops and all different things that I'm working on. I'm going to be all over the country with this book launch. So I always tell people, be in touch and would love to see you on the road. The book, again, is The Retention Revolution. Erica, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Always great to see you. Before we dive into our mailbag, a quick word from our sponsors. Hey there, listeners. It's Nima Gobir. I'm the co-host of MindShift, the podcast where we explore the future of learning and how we raise our kids. I don't teach math. I don't teach reading. I teach people. You'll hear from teachers, parents, researchers, and students as we uncover innovative approaches in and out of the classroom. It holds a lot about how we want students and young people to move through the world, how we want to set them up for success. Find MindShift wherever you get your podcasts. Dive into the heart of crime with Foul Play Crime Series. Immerse yourself in the most perplexing cases where each twist and turn is more baffling than the last. With riveting storytelling and detailed analysis, Foul Play brings the unsolved and unexplained to life, captivating your imagination. Listen to Foul Play Crime Series now, where every story is a puzzle waiting to be solved. 
and we are back for our mailbag. So, Julia, Erica was talking a lot about job hopping and really what you need to do to keep people happy at work. Do you find that a lot of your friends are concerned about having a lot of different jobs on their resumes at your age? Not anymore. I think my age range sort of got over it during COVID when we all sort of job hopped as a result of the pandemic. And I think we're all in this boat together of, yeah, it happened. Oh, well, like we have a job now. And so I have, what, three jobs on my resume? Four? Three, I think. I had three jobs on my resume by the time that I was your age. I was at my first job for six months. I stayed for a year and a half. But by the time I was 26, I was on my third job. I don't know. You look at me. You look at Adam. We both hopped around. You look at my roommates. They've hopped around. But I just think it's my age gap. It's so funny. These people were talking trash at the gym the other day, not realizing how old I was, talking about how the younger employees, the younger staff at there, they both work in finance, always think the grass is greener on the other side. So they're seeing so much turnover and people are job hopping. And I just think it's sort of my age zone, we hop and the grass is greener. Or I have people who have left and come back to jobs at my current company. And I have people who come to my company and leave and go back to their old companies. I just think it's a lot more flexible than it used to be. And when people leave and go back or when people leave because the grass is greener, what are they looking for? Are they looking for money or are they looking for a friendlier, more supportive work environment? I think it's case by case because I think some people, when they come back, have to take a pay cut, right? They go back to their original salary and then it's all about the culture. Or when some people leave, it is about the money. I don't think you could answer that for somebody else. I don't know. All right. It's interesting. And I think about it because I hire people right out of college. And I really want them to stay two years because it's work. It's an effort to train them, just like you've been trained in your job. It's an investment. So you want people to stay, and it's frustrating. It's frustrating when they don't, but I hopped for more money when I was coming up, and I understand that as well. Unfortunately, I think it's the only way to really get those big jumps, right? Yeah. The research definitely backs that up. You get a 10% raise maybe if you're lucky at your current company, but if you go across the street, you can maybe get 20. Exactly. Let's take some questions. All right. Our first question today comes to us from Maria. She writes, Hi there. My mom passed in October. I spent the last six years living with her in her home and took care of her in New Jersey. I also have one brother. The house is in probate and it's coming on time to make a decision. The house is paid for, no mortgage or debt, and it was built in 1960. The reason I'm telling you this is that the house still has original everything. My parents were humble and never upgraded anything. It needs work. The minimum I would do just to feel secure would be to waterproof the basement and replace the oven and the water heater. I wouldn't be making huge renovations. I was renting prior to moving in. I'm divorced and had sold the marital home years ago. My question is, would it make sense to buy my brother out? A comparable home might sell as is for $375, to be honest. And it would probably be purchased by a contractor to knock it down and build a McMansion. 
buying the house for half the selling price is very cheap considering the market here. One option is I could live here for a few more years and by 64 or 65 sell and leave the area. Or would it be better to sell now and rent for a few years? I do not know where I want to settle, so I hesitate to buy a condo in this area. As prices are still quite high, although the freedom of a condo would be a huge plus. I make a decent salary, but I am under 100000 Rents for a two-bedroom are on average 2300 a month, and they offer total freedom but no investment. So, undecided as there are benefits to all the options. Thank you for reading this. I hope this is what you were looking for regarding financial questions. It's a perfect financial question, Maria, because it's all about trade-offs. And that's what financial questions are really about when you get to the essence of most of them. First of all, I'm really sorry about your mom. And she was lucky to have you living with her to take care of her. A couple of thoughts about your situation. First of all, if you were to sell now, and that is something to consider because the housing market is pretty hot, I would not buy anything else. I would definitely rent because you don't know where you want to be. And there's a cost to the transaction that it really doesn't make sense to undertake if you don't think that you want to stay in that new place, in that new condo or whatever, for less than five years. You're just better off by the numbers renting. But you may be better off just staying for a while. I would run the cost of living in that home versus the cost of renting an apartment plus a move and see where the numbers shake out. And then I think you have to talk to your brother. I'm assuming you haven't talked to him yet about buying him out, but he may have other thoughts about what you owe him, what he wants to get out of this property, what the best way is to make as much money as possible in a sale have a conversation with him so that you're not guessing at the fact that you have the option to buy him out. Make sure that he's on the same page as you are. And if you end up staying in the house and deciding not to sell it now, but you are planning to sell it and split the proceeds down the road with your brother, I think that there is an argument that you could make that your brother should actually contribute to some of the renovations, maybe not to the same degree that you are because you are getting the value of being able to live there, but there may be something that you could ask for because he's going to benefit from the fact that you did make those improvements down the road. So a lot to think about. Talk to your brother. If you sell rent, don't buy. Should we go to the next one? Let's get into the next one. Sounds good. Our next question comes from Kat. She writes, Hi, Jean. Have been watching and listening to you for decades. My father recently passed and left us a substantial amount of money. I have a terrible spending problem, and I need to make this money last through retirement. Any suggestions on where to start? Is your her money plan a good one for learning how to get a handle on my overspending? Thanks so much. Kat, I'm right there with you. Not on all parts, but... I'm an overspender. And we are working on that. 
again, losing a parent, as I know, is just so, so hard. So, Kat, you have our sympathies on the loss of your father. I think the Her Money Plan, which, by the way, is called Finance Fix, it's our eight-week course in spending less, saving more, getting on a budget, I think it could really help you. It helps people figure out where their money is going today, and a lot of people have absolutely no idea how much is going to what, and then funnel that money into the things that they would rather be using it for. It's a very, very nice mechanism to establish control over your cash flows. So I would encourage you to look at the program. I'd encourage you to try it out. I'd encourage anybody who is thinking they're in the same boat to check it out. You can find it at financefix.com. We spell fix with two X's. But I also think there may be something else going on here. When you have an inheritance, there is a lot of emotional baggage that comes along with that money. I often recommend that people not spend anything from an inheritance for six months just so they have a chance to process the death and make a plan for how they want to use this money. If this overspending feels emotional to you and it has it has been a long-standing problem, I'd suggest finding yourself a financial therapist. Financial therapy is typically not the kind of therapy that you would engage in for years. It's a shorter-term process where you isolate the issues, you work through the issues, and then you can go on your way. We've We've had financial therapists on this show before. You may want to take a listen to the show that we did in the past with Amanda Clayman. And if you're looking for a financial therapist, if you like the sound of that idea, you can find one in your area through the Financial Therapy Association. The website for that is financialtherapyassociation.org. Thanks so much, Kat, for a terrific question. And thank you, Jules, as always. Thanks for having me. Good luck, Kat. If you've got any other money-related questions, we'd love to hear from you. Just send them to us by emailing us at mailbagathermoney.com. And we're going to take a quick break. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back with your money tip of the week. It's advice we have all heard before. Ask for a raise. Two-thirds of women say their low salary is holding them back from paying off debt and saving for retirement. If you are terrified even thinking about this, I totally get it. But squash those fears by being prepared ahead of time and coming to the table with a number that you can defend. There are a lot of websites, websites like Glassdoor and Payscale and Salary.com, where you can get a handle on what jobs like yours are paying for real or 
head to the job listings on a site like LinkedIn, where you can get a sense of what a skill set like yours is actually worth on the open market. Finally, if you know people like you who are in similar jobs, you don't have to flat out ask them what they make. Ask them what they think you should be making. For more tips on negotiating a higher salary, subscribe to our newsletter at hermoney.com slash subscribe. You got this. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Erica Keswin for her great advice on feeling more connected at work. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. Her Money is produced by Haley Pascalides. It's mixed and mastered by CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Check out our new podcast, How She Does It, for intimate cocktail party-style conversations with today's most talented female leaders. This podcast is also part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. You can find us and other shows like us at airwavemedia.com. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk soon.